Michael Keaton Batman. He does blow up some things with missiles and stuff, too. Um, He's got machine guns on the Batmobile. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And Danny DeVito bites a guy's nose, which was super gross. Returns. <laughs> Hello, fellow geeks. This is Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. As a writer, I am very interested in discovering how our favorite stories influence us both personally and how they influence our culture. To that end, the Reclamation Society and the Story Geeks podcast is all about exploring our favorite sci-fi, fantasy, and comic book stories. On today's episode, I'm joined by Daryl Smith and Tim Posada as we review and discuss Zack Snyder's film, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. We'll be discussing the story, the characters, and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the film. And it's a controversial film, so it should be interesting. If you haven't seen Batman v Superman, we are going to start the podcast with a spoiler-free review, and then we'll give a spoiler warning before we dive into some deeper questions. To learn more about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, visit www.reclamationsociety.org. The link is in the show notes. You can even watch Star Wars Rivals, our fan film, which now has over 26,000 views and a ton of great comments. We appreciate your feedback. Also, we give away free comics on this podcast. Stay tuned for more details on how you can win free comics and other giveaways from the Reclamation Society and the Story Geeks podcast. All right, is everybody ready to dive into Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? So today I am joined by Daryl Smith and Tim Posada. And this is actually great because uh, Daryl loves this film, Tim Almost hates this film, and I'm somewhere in the middle. So that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this particular group together to talk about this. So why don't you guys give us a little introduction? Daryl, why don't you go first? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Daryl Smith. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard both Tim and I. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a I don't know what we're calling me now. Sometimes I'm, uh, a guest host, yeah. host. No, no, full host. host. You're a okay. full host. Yeah, no guest. We've removed guests from the. I'm the other host yeah. of the Story Geeks <laughs> podcast. Um, lifelong geek, uh, musician, worship leader, um, giant Batman fan. I feel like the little Batman thing on the image for the podcast. I kind of feel like that's me. I know it's <laughs> right. not, but <laughs> no, I like that. Like we'll make it honorarily. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Yeah. How about you, Tim? Uh, Tim Basada. I teach journalism at a community college. Um, I got my PhD back in November, and my focus was on superheroes and economics. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's what I bring to here. And yeah, huge nerd for quite a while. Didn't fully embrace the nerdism until after college. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Took um, a while. Yeah, I mean, I was always into stuff, but it wasn't until after college that, like, I ended up, like, getting a free ticket to go to Comic-Con and then started buying a comics collection and, like, really, really embracing it all. So, when we talk about, like, one of my favorite TV shows is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but I never watched it completely until I was probably about 24. Ah, Yeah, so I am a nerd for over a decade have always loved the stuff, but wasn't like fully committed in it to the level of literacy I'm at now until about then. You know, I'm, I would say I'm similar to that. Cool. Wouldn't commit until later. I would say Tim and I have need, now need to do a Buffy podcast. I, you, you're going to have to, yeah. Dude, I could talk about that it. all day. Uh, the body. Oh. So good. Creepy. Oh, super creepy. Um, they did just exactly. had like their anniversary, the 20th anniversary. Yeah. So everybody was doing their reviews again on like uh, that episode yeah. and how it was the best one. I also like Hush. 
Yeah. Oh I think Hush God. is probably the best episode. Yeah. Doug Jones. Both of those, just to give you context, because I know you've probably never seen them. Never. They're both creepier than most horror movies you can find out there. Yeah. Really? But they're on network television. Uh-huh. And not yeah. gory. It's just creepy. Eerie stuff and comical. Like, yeah. Well, not the, not the body one. Not that one. That one's just straight up sad. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> true. But the other one's comical and creepy because yeah. it's like it's a silent movie basically. Um, Doug Jones is one of the creepy creatures, the yeah. guy, yeah, who d- who does From like Hellboy. the body work for the Fawn and Pan's Labyrinth and everything else worth talking about. So, <laughs> well, special special preview of a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Let's do it. <laughs> I also want to give a special thanks to Ben Coberly, Connie Moe, and my co-founder of the Reclamation Society, Nathan Check, because you guys suggested discussion topics. I've tried to include them here. Um, in the questions that I have, so we'll see how that goes. I've made some tweaks to them. Um, so thank you for submitting those questions. Those are fantastic. We're going to start with our spoiler-free review, which means we're going to go into the quality rating. Now, Batman versus Superman, or Batman v Superman, I should say, um, has two editions. It has the theatrical edition and the ultimate edition. So for each of the quality and story depth and uh, likelihood to refer ratings, we're actually going <laughs> to review each one. Which is kind of cool. So I'm going to start off um, with Daryl. Daryl, what is your quality rating for the theatrical version of Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice? One to ten, ten being best. Oh, I was just about to thank you for leaving Dawn of Justice out of the title, but you snuck <laughs> it in there just in um, case. That subtitle this is just like so unnecessary. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. It's a it's, little too li- it's, it's too little, literal. It's, but, the, it's marketing. Yeah, it's marketing. So it. theatrical version is what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Okay, mm-hmm. so. I'm the guy that loves this film, but despite the fact that I love this film, I also have to recognize it's far from a perfect film. Right. Um, and the theatrical version, I gave a six. Okay. So um, that doesn't necessarily equate to how much I enjoy it. Yeah. And how, how much fun I have while I watch it. But it's inconsistent. Yes. Um, I think when we start to talk about the Ultimate Edition, you'll see the differences here. But to me, there's some big, big story elements left out yeah. of the theatrical version of the movie that really help it make so much more sense. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, the theatrical movie feels more like a Batman movie that has these other characters in it. Mm. So even putting Superman in the title almost doesn't make sense to me. Right. Um, the Ultimate Edition kind of fixes that for me, but... Yeah, I think it's inconsistent. There's some shaky storytelling. I think at, at a lot of times, Zack Snyder tries to talk up to his audience, um, which is what I love. One of the things I love about Chris Nolan, he does that so well. Mm-hmm. But with Zack Snyder, I feel like he only gets it maybe half the time. <laughs> like, sometimes it feels like he's talking up to you. Other times it just feels like he missed something. So yeah. I give you six. Okay. Tim? Um... Yeah, I, I, I'm not very far away from that. I just would have given it a five, so it's clearly in the F category. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, and I went into this film wanting to love it, too. Like, when I saw that first trailer, everybody was freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, Batman's got a gun. It's like, well, no, if you've seen the Dark Knight comic, like, it's the yeah. harpoon gun thing he's got. I was like, and then when he had his, like, robotic outfit, everyone was like, oh, it's Iron Batman. I was like, no, 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 stop it. <laughs> All those elements I was on board with, I loved. I was like, we're finally to a point where the really big nerdy things can show up on screen. 
My issue then with the film and the reason I gave it a five was that we just don't see that a lot happening. Those are like kind of like, you know, fun set pieces that occur very minimally. Yeah, the storytelling in this one is just off the wall confusing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so it's one of those things I watch and I'm like, what is happening right now? I don't understand anybody's motivation. It's just very confusingly done. And you're watching it even knowing something was cut from this. And then there were yes. things left in it that didn't need to be there, which yeah. is weird because this what it, it's it was a big it was an editing disaster. But there was clearly some type of it could be a combination, I think, of studio influence and also Zack Snyder's own problem with trying to write stories. Yes, um, he's a very visually iconic guy, but I think he shouldn't be a writer. Yeah. And so I think, regardless of what version, but yeah, for this one, yeah, definitely a five. Um, I'm in the same zone, so I, I put the theatrical version at a six. For some of the same reasons you guys are talking mm -hmm. about. So let's just go around real quick and do the Ultimate Edition. Then we can dive into more of the quality opinions. Sure. Uh, for me, Ultimate Edition, I bumped it up to an 8. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is, again, I know we're trying to be spoiler-free, so I won't get too specific. Yeah. But I think there's some story that gets put back in, specifically centering around Clark and Superman and Lex. Mm. That really rounds out their characters. Like you said, mm -hmm. it lacks the theatrical version lacks motivation. Yeah, you're like, why is the why is this even happening? Why would they fight? Like, yeah. why aren't they fighting anymore? You know, like any of that stuff. Dang it, there's a spoiler. I tried not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, pretty. That was a pretty minor. Spoiler okay, good, all, yeah. good, good, good. But I think the ultimate edition fixes a lot of that, mm -hmm. and everything kind of makes more sense. Um, there's some beautiful little notes in the ultimate edition too that are mm -hmm. totally left out. Like good little story notes. Um, there's an entire character that mm -hmm. Jenna Malone plays. Oh yeah. Who I still don't know the name of that character. I guess I could watch the credits, but um, just a minor character. It's it doesn't make a big deal that they left her out, but she adds a cool little tinge to the movie. You know. Absolutely. So eight. Eight. All right, Tim. Um, again, not for off. I would just it would be in C category for me. So mm -hmm. it's. It was a lot better, mind you. Making that movie three hours long was probably not the greatest. I think what I would have wished for the ultimate cut would have been they add in stuff to make the storyline make sense and then still remove other elements mm, yes. of it. And I can't say what those are right now. Um, but yeah, it made a lot more sense. Yeah, it finally gave us some motivation for why it is Batman versus Superman. It, it, because in the theatrical cut... There's no real sense of what's happening, and then things are happening. You're like, wait, we made a huge jump. Why is <laughs> yeah. this even happening? Whereas right off the bat in the ultimate cut, they leave in like a really important detail in the beginning where it's like, oh, that's why people are thinking weird things. Yeah, yeah and then there's even some characters that got full, much bigger story arcs. Yep. And so it's just, yeah, it's a much more rounded film. It's much more, I could see that screenplay and think Zack Snyder's trying to take his cues from Chris Nolan mm -hmm. yeah. uh, with that version. Um, whether Which, he's how could you not when you were handpicked by Chris Nolan? That is so true. You kind of have to <laughs> yeah. show some respect there. But at the same point, though, <laughs> Snyder was always kind of a Warner Brothers golden boy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't know what Dawn of the Dead was. I don't know if that was a Warner Brothers film, but everything else he's done has been a Warner Brothers yeah. project. Yeah, that's true. So what was your number? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Okay. I'm not academic enough to know what to see. What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> How do I do that conversion? Um, so for me, I have a seven as well. Mm -hmm. So not quite up to eight for me from a quality perspective. Mm -hmm. Just a quick rundown, and you guys can say some of your stuff too. But um, 
I do believe that Zack Snyder is the best visual film filmmaker in the business today. So his visual quality is outstanding in my mind. Um, my personal take. I do think that whoever did Arrival, I know it was Dennis Villeneuve who was like the... Okay, I'm waiting to correct you on this. Yeah, what is it? It's Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I'm not even... And I'm not that. French, so that probably sounded stupid <laughs> and terrible. But that's the gist of how to say his name. So I'm, I'm, I'm addressing his name as if he's Spanish. Yeah, you're basically changing his entire heritage. Yeah, hmm. so... My bad. Anyway, so... And I know you didn't like the movie, but come on. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> and I would actually say, like, not that this is a good movie at all, but... Because it's a terrible movie, but like Jupiter Ascending by the Wachowskis, uh-huh. visually gorgeous film. True. The dumbest movie and the funnest to hate. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while, but visually true. very gorgeous. And we're talking about visionary directors, though. The Wachowskis, they may not know how to write on occasion, which Sensei, though, I would say is their exception. That show's amazing. But <laughs> um, they know how to create some really cool visuals. Mm. And so I think, but yeah, Zack Snyder's a very aesthetically pleasing yeah. filmmaker. He does something for me that I think very few filmmakers can capture, except for the Arrival guy, which is now his name. The Arrival <laughs> guy. That's fine. Because what he does is he's able to humanize things in a way that, like the, like in, I think of the Man of Steel trailer, where you're seeing the kid in the cape run across, and you're seeing the grass, mm-hmm. and you're seeing the butterflies. And he, Pencils he, floating in the can. Yeah, he, sure, brings, the, yeah. he brings these things to, to bear that are very human. And they, they make you actually have a, a, a feeling. You emote with the visuals, you yeah. know? Which I think is fantastic. So, um, really enjoy that. Really enjoy the risks that he takes, which sometimes fall flat on their face and are awful. Um, I do agree with you, Tim, that he's really at his best when he's adapting someone else's work. Mm-hmm. He's not inherently a good storyteller. Yeah. He can tell someone else's story. But don't ask him to come up with one on his own. <laughs> yeah, because for me, his best film is still 300. Mm. I love Watchmen, me. but 300 is in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put it in the same category. But 300 is your favorite of his. Yeah, I think the pacing of it, I think, worked really well for him. Obviously, fight the action sequences were amazing. That's what killed me about Watchmen, was that it's not an action-based story. Yeah. And when you saw that Watchmen-style fighting, it was very just wildly out of place in that <laughs> film. Oh, it is true. That's very out of place in that film, yeah. <laughs> See, I'm the total other spectrum from you guys. I did not like 300. Mm. I didn't even finish Watchmen. <laughs> and I I think I told you, like, years ago, that I thought Zack Snyder, what did I call him, an arrogant, arrogant. filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I would agree with that. I would yeah. agree with that, too. Yeah, that's a great I still don't, I don't necessarily think that's untrue now. But <laughs> but for me, Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman have given me a higher opinion of him. Mm. I've... Especially after watching this again this week, I'm kind of like, you know what? This guy, no, he's not perfect. He's not great at it. There are people that are way better than him, but there are some really, really great moments in this story. Yes. And some really great motivations and kind of a new through line that I found in the movie too, which we can talk about as we get farther along. That's awesome. Any other notes on quality you put in there? Um, Not off the top of my head. I mean, look, as far as quality goes... Um... I mean, it's a very well-producing... Zack Snyder's stuff doesn't look weird. Like, I mean, he does... I mean, in Watchmen, I think he was a little bit more campy, but he was very conscious of what he was doing with that. Here, all elements of that have been removed, I think, as far as the production, even. I loved... Like the costuming choices, like even back with Man vs. Steel, I love the way that Superman looked. I love that they got rid of the red speedo. I was so <laughs> yeah. happy for that. Which the comics have now done too. I know they, they did. Yeah, right after that, yeah. I think with the uh, the Earth One story, 
um, was when they first started to do it, and then the rest of them were like, all right, this is a good idea, let's get rid of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to throw out some major story issues. Not in story depth yet, we're not going to go there yet, but I'm going to throw out some major story issues which take down the quality for me. If these things did not exist in this story, I probably could bring the quality up much, much higher, in my opinion. So I'm going to try to be spoiler-free, I mean, you guys can respond to this as well. The big, one of the biggest problems, well, there's two major, major problems, but the, one of them is there's way too much advertising of future films yes. that do not work at all in this context, <laughs> in my opinion. I will agree that that's frustrating from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah. From a fanboy standpoint, <laughs> and from somebody who's been waiting for these characters to be on screen together, yeah, to see some of that stuff makes it so much fun. Yeah. So this true. is that's part of why I get to the quality rating when I go a little lower because I agree yeah. that for for someone who doesn't know anything about, I mean, everybody knows something about Batman, but for someone who doesn't know much about this stuff and they just go see this movie, they're like, "What the heck is that?" Right. For right. me, I know what they're talking about. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I would say, I think Marvel, I think, has probably done this a little bit better where they've been able to, like, bring it into the storyline and maybe tease it. There have been some moments where you're like, oh, that was shameless. Yeah. For sure. But there's an entire sequence you're watching this has nothing to do with the storyline. And I think in the theater, I threw up my hands because I was so confused why they even have this a part of the storyline. And it's like... One of the nice things that Marvel does is just throw it in the credits. Yeah, yes. We know it's going to tease you, but they didn't want to do it. They're like, yeah. we're not going to do that. It's Marvel things, even though they did it in Suicide Squad. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, just throw it in the credits. You can do whatever you want. The whole point of the credit sequences are to make us go, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think that's part of the problem with that Warner Brothers is facing right now, too, because there's this behemoth of, an ex- of a successful <laughs> model for how yeah. to make a superhero universe. And yet they have to look at that and say... Okay, that's really, really good. Don't do that. Come up with something else. You know? Right, right. And it's like, but, that's hard. Yeah. But they didn't create the post-credit thing. That's been going on since Ferris Bueller's totally Day Off. Marvel, like, Every, they monopolized they, yeah, on it. Totally. And they've given us like two, I swear we're going to get up to three teases by some point. Yeah, that's true. So that's one problem. Obviously, you know, different degrees to which we agree with that problem. The other one um, is that... Uh, now I gotta really avoid spoilers with the next one, but this one that I think Nolan does this amazing thing where he dives into a central theme, and then all of the characters express their worldviews or their motivations behind that theme. I think what um, Snyder is trying to do here is a similar thing. The problem is he introduces like five or six different themes, and each character's worldview is now fighting for that for their particular theme. And I think that that makes it challenging from a story perspective. It's hard to conclude all of those things. Mm-hmm. For me, there's one in there, and mm. I'll talk about it more. I don't want to get okay. too, I don't want to get spoilery, but for me, yes, there are others, and yes, it's yeah. conflicting. I'm not arguing with that, but there's one that helps me understand why I love this movie so much because it's something I care a lot about, and it's legacy. Ah, interesting. Ooh. Okay, I like this. <laughs> That's a good teaser for the rest of it. What about you? Anything comments on that part of it? I don't know if it's a spoiler, so I don't want to bring it up until later. So. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so this is this is maybe this is what you're thinking of too. Um, and I'm gonna say this: this is a little bit spoilery, but it's super, super, super minor. Um, there's basically two movies that have been filmed that he filmed. <laughs> there's a there's there is the title of this film, and then <laughs> the subtitle of this. Film. <laughs> yeah, well, there's like a, a break in the action, and there's another twenty to thirty minute movie on the end of this 
particular film. And so that ruins the storytelling. Like all of these themes that, he, that he's building up to, mm-hmm. he then says, okay, great. Now let's move on to this next movie that I've also filmed. Hmm. And it gives the, and in that, by the way, that second movie is basically the last 20 minutes of Man of Steel with different characters. Mm-hmm. In many regards, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that that big old is... disaster porn kind of story. Exactly. Happening. Exactly. Yeah. So that was just my quality take. Any other notes on quality? Um, I I'll say a negative thing. As much as I love this, every single time I watch it, I just can't get past the fact that Doomsday is weak. Ah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Conceptually we... and visually. Yeah. I, there, the moment they revealed him to somebody posted like a who wore it better and it was a picture of a ninja turtle the cave troll from Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Doomsday <laughs> and it, it's just he looks so dumb I mean he's just yeah. that's all I got you know I, I have to say that I don't know Doomsday well enough from the comics to be able to make a judgment call on that but I would he, agree that it's in the comics he's epic like especially the he's first a, time they used him yeah, when he's a grandiose him. character. Like he's like iconic. He's considered like one of the best villains. His backstory is incredibly intriguing. Yeah. It's not what they did here. <laughs> so you want to make a revision? Fine, movies do it all the time. But make a revision for the better. Yeah, not for convenience. Sure. It's not. It's not this bad, but it's almost akin to Bane <laughs> in Batman and Robin. Oh, that's you know because so it's like. <laughs> Oh. It's not. It's not as bad as that, but but it's similar in that. <laughs> Sorry, scrawny serial killer I gets know, infected with venom and then becomes big oaf. It's not that bad, but it's the same spirit where they're taking a character that in the comics has a ton of gravity and a ton of importance. Yeah, and they're basically turning them into a henchman or a yeah. utilitarian kind right, of character. Right, right. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing. That's good. That's good. I like that. All right, so now let's jump into the story depth rating. Uh, by the way, this is going to be one of the longest podcasts we've ever done, and I knew that going into it, which is totally fine. Longer movie, longer podcast. So, Daryl, story depth rating on the theatrical version. Theatrical, um, I'm going to say the same that I said for quality rating. I'm going to say six. Mm, okay. For many of the same reasons, um, I do think there is some depth there, but again, with a lot of the story left out that's in the Ultimate Edition... It's harder to get. Yes, um, mm-hmm. I do feel like in this movie's defense, I feel like there, you, as you watch it more times, you get more stuff out of it. Yeah, um, to a point. Like that won't <laughs> that won't last for every single time you watch it. But the next time you watch it, Doomsday will be like a philosopher. And yeah, like, wait, I didn't realize. <laughs> was so, but that's a defense for it because I think as much as I love. Like, I love all of the Marvel movies. I have all of them at home. But there are some of those that you don't need to watch more than once to mm-hmm. get every single thing out of it. They're right. super accessible. So I do like that there's some stuff that to dig a little bit deeper here. But in the theatrical version, there's less of that and more just missteps. Let's get your Ultimate Edition first, then we'll get Tim's book. Uh, eight and a half. Eight and a half. Okay. Yeah. So the, so the, theatrical, mm-hmm. the, sorry, the uh, Ultimate Edition solves a lot of the problems you had with the depth. Of yeah. The theory. leap between the two is just huge okay. for me. Mm-hmm. Tim? Um, I'm going to say, consistent with my first rating, theatrical cut, I would still say a five because there's just so many holes in it. Um, so many holes. 
Um, but for the theat but for the ultimate cut, it really did solve a lot of those issues. So I'd get put it into the seven point five okay. range. <laughs> so a little bit better. It's almost a C plus. Overall quality <laughs> seven, but you know the storytelling is a bit better. Seven point five. Hey, yeah. there are plenty of movies I would give an A to and say the story depth is ridiculous. Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. There is no depth to that thing. That thing would get a six <laughs> as far as story depth. But it's Trying so to much fun. But to it's watch. so much fun. Yeah. It gets a nine. Yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So, I will give this one props for the story depth being better than a lot of things. Hey, they've been better than all the new Star Trek films. Right. This is, more, this is a much deeper story. That's true. So, I'm going to be the odd one out here. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to say something probably fairly shocking. First is, I have no difference between my theatrical rating and my Ultimate Edition rating. Ooh, scary. Now, I, but, but some of that stuff I said was I took down the quality rating for Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking of depth, I'm thinking of what does it say? What does it ask me to question about spirituality, mm-hmm. human nature, emotions, relationships? And, and I think both films, though it is more confusing in the theatrical <laughs> version, both films do a really good job of asking you to ponder those subjects and that subject matter. So I gave it a nine on both accounts. Ooh. Just because there's not a lot of movies that hit on all of those points and mm-hmm. say like... Please consider this at a deeper level. And I, do, I think that this movie actually gets there. So you gave Theatrical and Ultimate a 9? Yeah. From a you went higher than I did on something? <laughs> I just did. I went higher. Oh I get where you're coming gosh. from on that. Because, yeah, as far as the philosophical themes, I would say nothing probably changes with those as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the, And those are really fascinating. And I love the fact that he does that. And we'll dive into those things a little bit deeper as we, as we go. I do think they're better fleshed out. Fleshed yes. out, flushed out, fleshed, fleshed, flushed, or flushed, flushed out. Okay. Yes, yeah. I, I do think they're better flushed. Flushed well, out he sounds flushed, worse. He flushed them out in the theatrical version. That's what you get when you go from ultimate to theatrical. Yeah. No. Yeah. So last one is our likelihood to refer rating. Um, so Daryl, we'll start with you. What is your theatrical version likelihood to refer? Well, for me, this one sort of falls in the ghost protocol category. I mm-hmm. recognize that there are issues with it, but. I love it. I love seeing Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman on screen together. That just makes me happy from since I was a little kid watching Super Friends, you know. And so, um, but given the issues of the theatrical and the fact that it's long and almost, it doesn't feel as justified being long as I feel like the Ultimate Edition does, I'd give it a seven. Okay. And what about the Ultimate Edition? Ultimate Edition, I would go up to a nine. Oh, almost nice. just from the difference between the two. Like, oh yeah, I can't think of many other director's cuts or special editions or anything else in the past where the improvement was so 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 drastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Watchmen, really? that's a pretty drastic change. They added a whole like twenty-minute cartoon yeah. to the story that actually becomes the entire backstory for a whole character. Um, I get why they cut it because <laughs> yeah. it. I yeah, but I mean, once that ultimate whatever that edition was called was insanely different. Uh, entire characters are brought back in. One character who was alive in the theatrical cut gets murdered in the extended. It's a it's a whole huh. new story. That's so cool. is Warner Brothers just editing Zack Snyder too much, or does he just get it wrong the first time around? I I think Zack Snyder like. Well, I know that with Watchmen, he had to argue with the studio to include an entire chunk of it. Like, there's this whole thing with, like, the comedian's backstory and, like, all these characters, like, flashing back to what he meant to them, like, at his funeral. Yeah. And they didn't want that in the story at all. And, yeah, if you're actually watching the film, it actually takes away from the pulse. 
But he was like, no, this is the soul of the story. And it's like, well, it is to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is to anybody who's read the comic, but what about audiences who have no experience with this whatsoever? Yeah. Bottom line is though that film should have been a miniseries. It shouldn't have been a film. Yeah, that's so. true. Well, then I think that's, that's actually, you guys just both hit on it, is that Zack Snyder is making four or five hour long films and stories. And they're going, you can't release that to people. <laughs> like, So they're just forcing him to chop it up. And then when you chop it up, what do you lose? Well, you lose yeah. a lot of this what you thought was beautiful and amazing that you yeah. put into it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so say yours one more time. What were the two ratings? Theatrical 7, Ultimate 9. So you're like, go see it. Go see the Ultimate Yeah, version. Yeah. It's not perfect, but go have fun. Okay. Yeah. Tim? Um, I mean, I guess as far as like if people want to watch it, I would say... I don't know how I would rank it. I, mean, I think it would probably stay the same, like a 5 and a 7, okay. I think. But I would say to them, if you're going to watch the two and a half hour one, just know... It deserves every Razzie at one. Um, <laughs> if you watch the three-hour one, look, it, the story makes more sense, but then you're sitting down for a three-hour film, yeah. and it doesn't have the majesty that a Lord of the Rings film does. Yes. And so that's what I would say is, like, if it was edited, if all those extra parts were taken out of it, I think I'd be more willing to say, yeah, go see it. Yeah. It's chill. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually right in between you guys. So I'm on the theatrical version at a six. Um, but the Ultimate Edition, I'm at an 8. If you're a DC fan, I say go see it. Like, go see the Ultimate Edition, right? If you're not a DC fan, you're not a comic book movie fan, or you really like the, like, thinking, and we're going to talk about this like, in a lot more depth, but if you like thinking about the traditional characters and the old school way things were when you were a kid, this is not your film. Yeah. yeah. Don't go see this film. Um, I do think the Ultimate Edition solves a lot of the problems, but it doesn't solve my biggest problems. Though They're still there. The extra advertising, the extra ending, like all of these things are still in the film, so it doesn't solve that for me, which doesn't allow me to give it a nine. Yeah. But, you know, get close. I will say, speaking to your like versions of the characters, um, I've sort you know, in the world of comics, <clears throat> there's so many different versions yeah. of all these characters. And it's it's all depending on who's writing it, yep. who's drawing it, mm-hmm. and everybody's fine with that because there's so many of them and there's so much content. Right. Movies, it's a different story because there's so few movies that get made. Exactly. And everybody wants it to be this is the definitive Batman Superman movie, you know. Right. right. But I often wish people could just kind of back off and think of it the way they think of comics. It's like, well. Nothing's ever going to be definitive. This is just another version, you know. Right. This is Zack Snyder's version, right? You know, and I think then there might be a little bit more. Okay, you know, yeah. like it mm-hmm. might be a little more relaxed. Yeah, know. absolutely. What's up, guys? Do you want to win free comics from the Reclamation Society and the Story Geeks podcast? Who doesn't, right? If you review this podcast on iTunes and also like our Facebook page, you will be entered to win a free comic book every single month. We may even have other prizes in the future. Give us an iTunes review and like our Facebook page. The links are in the show notes and we'll enter your name in our giveaway. If you have a username on iTunes that we wouldn't recognize, just make sure you send us a Facebook message so that we can connect your real name with your username on iTunes. It is that simple. And I thank you in advance for reviewing our podcast. Good luck on winning free comics and other material in the future. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there on iTunes. All right, now back to the show. Um, all right, so here's our spoiler warning. We are going to really dig deep into this film. We will have lots of spoilers. 
So if you have not seen the film and you still want to, um, then go do so before you listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, so this is a little bit longer of a question, but one of the biggest themes in the film revolves around our concept of God. So both the capital G version of God and the lowercase g version of God. So the first question I have for you guys is, as humanity tries to figure out whether or not Superman qualifies as a God, put a capital G on that or a lowercase g if you want, we hear multiple viewpoints. He's worshipped, he's referred to as the Messiah, he's challenged by doubters, most notably Lex Luthor, and then there are others that even call him a false god. So how do you feel about Zack Snyder making the godhood of Superman a central theme? We'll go with Daryl first. I think it's essential for a few reasons. One, I think, you know, this is a very fantastical movie, but I think Snyder... Even, you know, like you said, visually, I think he still tries to ground it in reality in some way. Yes. And it's getting harder and harder to do that as we get closer and closer to the Justice League. But um, I think this is one way that he can do it. Because if somebody like Superman came to our world, I imagine that's the reaction. Some Mm -hmm. people would worship him. Some people would try to kill him. Some people would, you know, there'd be all those different reactions. But he would demand a high level of attention from everybody. Right. So um, I think it only makes sense to do that. And the other reason I like it is because it gives, in a way, it gives Superman something to struggle with. Right. Because one of the hardest things about making a Superman movie is he's so stinking powerful. Like, who do you put him against that is really a problem for him? Right. Well, himself. You make him struggle with, am I good enough? Can I be what they want me to be? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I love it for that reason. Okay. Tim? That, when I, when I saw the first trailer, that was one of my favorite parts of it, is that he had, like, false gods sprayed on that statue, and I was like, that's brilliant that they're doing that, because this has always been a part of the character. I mean, back when he had the 1978 film, you've got the most on-the-nose dialogue. You've got Jor-El saying, even though you're not one of them, you will be among them. Uh, they can be a great people, Kal-El. They just lack the light to guide them. That's why I'm sending you... Sending them you, my only son. Oh, good grief, that's on the nose about Christ. And <laughs> right. even like when the Superman Returns film came out, you've got that scene where Superman's hovering in space, eyes closed, like listening for the prayers of the world and going where he needs to go most. It's right. like they've always been on the nose about this. And Man of Steel kind of backed away from that to a certain degree. There's only that one moment where he's like speaking with the priest and you see like the Jesus mosaic behind him. Yeah. But I love that they brought it up here and it's not a positive. It's it's a moment of dilemma because... It's breaking down. Yeah, because... And the comics have always been about this. Everybody sees him as a savior, but what if he goes crazy? Exactly. What if he goes crazy? What if he turns on everybody? And there's always that whole thing in the comics where Batman always has like a little piece of like Krypton in his uh, utility <laughs> yeah. belt laced with lead. Right. And because you should never trust anyone, always plan for the worst. Yep. And I love that it was brought in just for that reason. Whether they handled it effectively or not, that's the other question, I suppose. Yeah, sure. So, I, I agree with you guys 100%. So here's an area where we're all on the same page. Because so many creators, um, particularly in Hollywood, there's so much pressure, right? Like you either don't touch spirituality at all, or you go straight to spirituality and you hit everyone over the head with your <laughs> deep-seated viewpoint on right, it. Right, yeah. Right? I mean, if you take the entire, like, quote-unquote Christian movie marketplace... All that is is someone that's super fundamentalist spoon-feeding you their belief system, right? 
On the other hand, you see movies where it's so removed from spirituality that you are sitting there going, what in the world is this based on? What, what, are you, what are you getting, what kind of questions are you even prompting me to answer? So I think that that's phenomenal. I think you guys mm-hmm. um, both hit the nail on the head there. Uh, and I think he, that you asked some good questions. Um, he is, and you, like you said this, Daryl, he is super man. Yeah. And that is, that does mean, that does bring up a lot of questions. Is this, is a super man godlike? How is he godlike? How isn't he godlike? I think those are good, good questions to ponder. And I think that they ask those questions pretty well. I will say as far as, sorry, as no, far no. as Snyder's presentation of it, yeah. there's one shot in the movie that just bugs the heck out of me. Oh, really? And it's, it's there, so there's a flood, and there's these people that have come up onto their mm-hmm. roof, mm-hmm. and then they look up, and he's floating in front of the sun, and it's one of those like Zack Snyder visual moment kind of things, and that's fine, but it's very clear that it's not just a split second. It's yeah. very clear that he's hovering there for a little while. Yeah. And it's like, why aren't you just saving them? Why are you floating in the sky yeah. so they can revere you? I'm, and I don't think, I think that was one of the moments where it was just that makes a sense. misstep and yeah. not misinterpreted. So. And the one thing I would add to this is I feel like in a lot of ways that uh, this film kind of tries to, they, they talk about it in terms of God, but the real questions related to this are the appropriate use of power. Mm. Yeah. And I would say that that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, especially from Batman's point of view, something this powerful shouldn't be allowed to just run free. And so the idea of God in there being used is more of a, a like, kind of discussion about manifest destiny, about, mm. like, who is this person and, like, what kind of values are they bringing to the world and how they approach conflicts. Because in the first film, he clearly says to a military officer, I was born in Kentucky, Kansas, 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 Kansas. Yeah. Touche, Smallville. Um, and so I was born in Kansas. doesn't get more American than that. So clearly he's coming from, he's been raised in a certain kind of environment with a certain bias. And so what does that mean when you are flying around the world doing things? Right. Yeah. And so there's also, to me, that seems like almost like a military component to this discussion about like when you have godlike powers or when you have the choice between taking someone's life or not, it becomes that question like, is that yeah. something you should do or God should do? Which is a perfect segue into my other point, which was, I love the comparison here of what they're doing with Superman and what was done with Dr. Manhattan in Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's, it's almost a different take, because now it's like, we're actually sitting with the people and we're watching Superman and we're trying to make our decision about whether or not he's godlike or what his godhood would look like. But in that film, you're actually already sitting with Manhattan. The decision has already been made mm-hmm. that he is basically God and he's losing touch with humanity because he's so out there. So I think that the, the two are kind of contrasted well. And I like that, you know, Dr. Manhattan became a weapon for the United States. Mm-hmm. And the question is, would Superman do that same thing? You know, so I think, it's, I think that's interesting for mm-hmm. sure. Um, any other thoughts on that question? I, you know, I guess I'll take this opportunity to bring in my... My legacy thing. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Bring it. Because um, I feel like it applies to this. Because I feel like part of the reason we deal with him as a God figure is like Tim, like you said, Jor-El drives that into him. Mm-hmm. He basically tells him, you're a God. You're here to save these people. Right. But Jonathan Kent tells him something completely different. He tells him, there are consequences for your decisions. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful. You have to use discretion. You know? Um... And as we discussed the other characters, there's other versions of this, but the legacy of mm. parents to children 
is a huge theme in this. And that strikes me for a couple of reasons. One, I'm a father, so I think about that for my sons. Mm -hmm. But um, another reason it strikes me is because when I first got into comic books Mm -hmm. in, I think, like sixth grade, the reason I got into them was because I discovered this concept of legacy. Mm -hmm. I discovered Nightwing, and I discovered Wally West, Mm -hmm. Flash, and the whole idea that kids can grow up and become heroes in their own right underneath these father figures that have been over them the whole time. And that just intrigued the heck out of me. And to this day, those are still my favorite characters in comics. Nightwing, Wally West, Winter Soldier, those kinds of characters. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's cool. I like that. So we're going to go into a deeper question. but And actually, this is a little bit of a surprise to you guys because I changed this question this morning after I was thinking about it a little bit. So originally I was just going to ask you about Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, but as I got to thinking about it, I went, wow, there's so many new characters. It's a little bit of an injustice if we just look at Jesse Eisenberg. Um, certainly a controversial one, but let's go through some of them. And what, I, what I'd like is actually the actor and their particular take on the character, mm-hmm. right? So um, I'm going to go with, first of all, we have already seen Henry Cavill before as Superman, but what do you think about Henry Cavill here as Superman? Tim. We'll go with Tim. I'm like pulling up IMDb right now to like visualize <laughs> things. I really actually like him as Superman. I mean, we've been, how many, how many have we had so far? We had George Reeves, we had Christopher Reeves, we had Tom Welling. Right we had the, What's that? Brandon Routh. Brandon Routh. That's how you say it? I always thought it, I always ignored the U for some reason. Routh. Roth. Uh, Roth. Yeah. Huh. I, that's wrong. It's clearly wrong. I don't say it wrong. Um, that dude who showed up for two episodes on Supergirl. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> I actually really like that show. I, I like the show, but he was terrible as Superman. He's pretty cheesy. I was excited for that, and then I was yeah. like... Um, <laughs> I like this take on him. He's... Yeah, we haven't seen, like, nerdy stumbling around Clark Kent, and you know what? I'm okay with that, because that's why Peter Parker exists in the world. Uh, So I don't need that version. I like the idea, like, there's that scene in Man of Steel where, like, he's a bartender, and, like, the drunk guy, like, tries to punch him, pours a beer in his head, and he's just sitting there like, I could flick you and you would die from a brain aneurysm. <laughs> and I like that version of him where he just kind of stares up. So he's got that really good stoic look down. Right. So I think he's a, I think he's a really good choice. I hear he's kind of a tool as a person. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to admit that following up on that comment, every time I see him interviewed on like Jimmy Fallon or something like that, I'm like, you arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> is he really is he that bad? <laughs> he's <laughs> Jimmy literally asked him something like, so it looks like you've been working out a lot or whatever. And he says something. It, it wasn't this. But he says something like, yeah, between the sheets or something like that. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Oh, that's so... Dude, everyone oh. knows you're good looking, okay? Like, yeah. we need to reinforce well, that. I remember he posted a photo. Like, news outlets will pop up. And one of them I follow is like comicbook.com. And it was like... Brandon, uh, uh, Henry Cavill just posted a new picture of his uh, working out, and it's him deadlifting like 500 pounds. And I'm looking at it going, are you kidding me? Like, that is insane. Like, yeah. when you see actors and you're like, well, I mean, if this doesn't work out for you, you can go compete. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, what about you? What's your take on Henry Cavill? I, I, well, as a person, I'm not sure I like him anymore now. <laughs> but I love him as Superman. I think he's great. Um, I think he is a an appropriate different version of everything that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the, 
I like that he's a little bit darker, but I like that he's struggling with being darker. Like yeah. he's darker because he's realizing the reality of what he's doing to the world around him. Yeah. And it's hard for him to deal with that. Right. So I like that. And I also love the optimistic, iconic Superman, but I feel like Christopher Reeve gave us that in seventy eight. So yeah. we just don't need it again. No, yeah, we're good on that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't have anything else to say about that. I agree with you both. How about uh, Amy Adams as Lois Lane? Um, or do you want to go first, Tim? Either way. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go first, Tim, and then Daryl. Sure, do it, do it. Um, Amy Adams, I love her. I adore her with every, whatever role she's in. I mean, is this Lois Lane? I don't know. When you think about like a gumshoe reporter like out there to be that antagonistic voice trying to like get the story, not getting turned out, it's hard to look past, and I'm forgetting her name, from the old like 78 film, like who played it. Margot Kidder. Uh, yes. She is like the epitome of that role. She has all the charm. Amy Adams has a different kind of charm for that role. Yes. I would almost think that somebody like Emma Stone would be a more fitting like, uh, Lo- like Lois Lane in that sure. sense, but I still like her in the role, and it's not like, even though it's a different take than what we're used to I'm not watching it going oh gosh (laughs) because it's Amy Adams I mean she doesn't suck she's really good at anything she does yeah so that's my take on that okay yeah I like her a lot I I do think it's better in in Batman vs Superman than it was in Man of Steel I think she improved on it a bit Mm -hmm. Um, but I like her a lot I think I'm I don't have a strong opinion about Lois Lane because in the comics Lois Lane is unbelievably inconsistent. Like, yeah, yeah. there is no one take on, on her. It's right, all right. over the map. So, mm-hmm. I agree almost 100% with your take. Uh, I think she's amazing. It doesn't really quite feel like Lois Lane to me because I think, like, um, what was her name again? Margot? Margot Kidder. Kidder. I would say from Margot Robbie every time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I agree with you 100%. So, what about uh, Gil? Is it Gil Godot or Gil Godot? I've heard Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. How about Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman? We'll go with Tim first again. Yeah, a lot of people, like, when she first, like, um, was cast in the role were like, oh my gosh, it's like, uh, Wonder Woman's supposed to be a much, like, you know, like, a rip- more ripped character. Amazonian. Amazon, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess I wasn't as worried about that because everybody, when they get hired into a, into a role, like, goes into that workout regimen. I mean, Chris Pratt as a superhero. Didn't make sense until he showed up in the phone. You're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. The chubby dude from Parks and Rec has become a beefcake on the cover of Men's Health. So I'm not as worried about that. I love that they didn't cast a white woman as an Amazonian. I love that they actually cast somebody who would look more like somebody who would actually be from there. Yeah. Something Iron Fist didn't understand. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like her. I think she, um, at the time, she was kind of an untested actor. Um, and then finding out later that she actually served in the military in Israel too, like added a like new level of authenticity to the mm-hmm. role. I was like, okay, sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm fine with her. Okay, what about your take? I think she's great. Um, I I knew of her already because she was in the Fast and Furious mm-hmm. franchise, which is something I shamelessly adore. <laughs> I don't shamelessly adore. Okay, her well that's all. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will never try to sing its quality praises, but I'll watch it all day long. <laughs> yeah. No, they're fun. I'm so excited for the next one, even though it has the worst name out of all. No, Too Fast, Too Furious is still the worst. Yeah, name. and that one's not good to no, me. That that's the only one that's terrible. But really, Tokyo Drift though. I, I, I liked it better. Okay, okay. We digress. <laughs> um, but I think she's great. I agree. I'm glad that they didn't cast a white person. 
I'm glad that they let her keep her Israeli accent and mm-hmm. didn't try and make her talk with an American accent. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think she's great. I think she looks like Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. She was the standout of the film for me. Yeah. yeah. I think she... Um, a lot of... I think you have to have an actress for that role that when you look at her, she doesn't just look like Wonder Woman, mm. but you can also sort of... I don't know, maybe in her expressions or what, but you can also sort of see more yeah. depth than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think she has that. And I think Amy Adams has that as Lois Lane too. So I'll, mm. just to say. Very true. Um, I kind of fell into the group that was thinking that her physical presence was not going to be intimidating enough. Especially if you've seen Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah. It's just like... Yeah. So I was a little bit worried about that, but she brings an intensity to the role that it's like... It, she can be, you know, whatever she is, a buck ten. And it's like, oh, I don't want to fight her. <laughs> like, yeah. she, she just brings that to the role in, in spades. And I thought it was outstanding. So mm-hmm. I think I'm really looking forward to the Wonder Woman film. And I'm looking forward to seeing her in that role for sure. Uh, okay, so here, now we're going to hit some uh, a heavy hitter because this was very, very controversial. What do you think of Ben Affleck as Batman? Didn't okay when they first started said they were gonna cast like an older person, um, and they mentioned that John Hamm was on the short list. I got I was like I know in my heart I knew he wasn't gonna get it, but yeah. I was like oh I thought that would have been fantastic. He's got the jawline for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Ben Affleck is never terrible in what he does, uh, though I haven't seen that one movie he did with J Law. Oh yeah, J-Lo. J-Lo. <laughs> um, Giggly or Geely, Geely, which apparently is just the worst thing ever. Um, and I realized that yeah, I said earlier this movie deserved all the Razzies, but like him being nominated for the Razzie was just because nobody liked, like a lot of critics didn't like the film. Yeah. The his acting, I mean, yeah, I mean he fit the part well. Um, I have no objections to it. Uh, he's the tall, dashing guy. That's the Bruce Wayne thing. I mean. Christian Bale technically was a weirder choice just because of his jaw, yeah. like, mm. and yet he fit the role quite well. Yeah. So I wasn't bothered with Ben Affleck. I think most people's issue with him is the same issue they have with Tom Cruise. They just don't like him. Right, 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 right. What is your take, Daryl? My favorite live-action Batman yet. Ooh. And I know that sounds controversial because I'm the Chris Nolan boy. We've, we've <laughs> done four Chris Nolan podcasts so far. Yeah, that's and, right. Um... But, like we said in those podcasts, Batman is not the strongest character in those movies. Correct. Um, it's The other characters are better. And I think, so, for me, Ben Affleck is the best. I think he's the closest to the comics, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, I like, I really, really like that they finally made a movie where Batman has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's not, oh, my parents just died, so let me turn into this... <laughs> Vigilante, right. as you like to say. Vigilante. Vigilante. <laughs> I love the... Yeah. I can't but, pronounce Denis Villeneuve or whatever his name is, but I can do Vigilante all day long. But I love that they they did one where it's progressed, and he's jaded, and mm. he's dark, and he, you know, still hasn't gotten over his parents because mm-hmm. Batman never should. That always has to drive him, but... I, I love the version of him, and I love having Ben Affleck also because, like you said, he made Geely. He made mm-hmm. he had a run in his career that was a joke. I yeah. mean, straight up, nobody would argue with that. I think, but once he started directing, and once mm-hmm. he directed Gone Baby Gone, and then The Town, and then Argo, and then started being more careful about his acting roles and stuff like that, I'm like, this dude has completely turned his career around, and now I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's the best live-action Batman. Um, 
I don't think he's necessarily the best live action Bruce because he brings that like that brooding. Say <laughs> Probably actually. <laughs> um, well, Cl- Clooney's obviously the worst Batman of all time. Because he doesn't ever play Batman. <laughs> he, he, just, he just shows up as, uh, as George Clooney with a suit on. Um, but, no, I think... So, here's, here's like, in my mind, the ideal Bruce is almost the opposite of Batman. The ideal Bruce is an extrovert, but the extrovert you never really get to talk to because he's running around the room with just flirting with people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas Batman is, like, the recluse who's just focused on his work and mm-hmm. he's just... So I think he does that Batman really, really well. Like, he's just super focused on his work. But he shows up at a party, and you don't think any of the women are going to talk to the guy because he's going to be like, oh, get out of here. I need, you know, I need to go hunt for plans or something. <laughs> he's like, he's too, he's a little too gruff. So, but I do think he's the best Batman, live-action Batman. That I, so I would agree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, how about, Tim, what do you think about um, Jeremy Irons as Alfred? I've seen so many different depictions of Alfred that it, for me it's almost just fun to see the distinctions between I've been watching Gotham and I like that depiction of Alfred. I think it's fun to see him like as the guy carrying the gun, like training Bruce. Um, Jeremy Irons almost as this like jaded guy who has no emotional response to anything, just always being like, it's like, all right, just saying, if you wanted to like have kids, that'd be nice. Just like so just jaded by dealing with. Um, I like that it was just such a weird contrast to Michael Caine. It's not like totally like this fatherly figure. He's that guy, kind of, but he's also like, he, he, at this point he's been beaten down so many times by like not getting Bruce to be a normal person that he's just given up on that basically. And he's like, all right, I'll be what you need me to be. (laughs) And I think it's what Jeremy Irons does really well. So I was all for that. Yeah. What about you? I agree. I like him a lot, but my only slight complaint would be, I think at times he's a little too heavy handed. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. They, he's got a couple comments in there that it's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, he's, you're snarky. Yeah, we got gotcha. you. Okay, fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you guys too. I think the one thing um, I love the contrast too between him and Michael Caine playing the role. What's interesting is they took an unfettered Batman, a very bitter, dark Batman, and they said, "Well, Alfred can't be his moral conscience, right? <laughs> that like, is true because that's not going to work. Yeah. So let's just have Alfred be his dark sidekick. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but he did even say like he has like some of those moments, like the whole he's not your enemy element, but right. he doesn't really push it. Like Michael Caine <laughs> characters, like I'm not going to watch you like destroy your life and leaves. Yeah. Whereas this one's like he's not your enemy, but okay, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's like, if you need to kill him, I'll load the gun." Um, all right, so let's go to the last one on my list, um, which is Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. What do you think? Um, the a, a casting almost as bad as Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was like watching some obnoxious, like, TED Talk kid who was also a villain on the side for me. I was just like... Are you kidding me? And like, I realized that Mark Zuckerberg is actually a very quiet person, but I was just like, so Zuckerberg's a villain. That's all I could think when I was watching this. It's like some obnoxious little millennial that you want to see get murdered. Like, it's like he just kept yelling. Like, when he's like feeding the government official like that candy, I was like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Uh, And it was just like, I. Don't understand any of this, and especially when we're coming off like when we came off all those rumors that it was going to be Brian Cranston. I was like, 
oh, the world is right. Yeah. yeah. And then we got Jesse Eisenberg. And again, when he first got cast, I was like, you know what? I like him. Like, Zombieland's great. thought he was amazing in Social Network. He proved he had some variety. And then he created a hybrid character between those two performances. <laughs> and it was just real annoying for me. <laughs> what about you? This is a hard one for me because I actually love the character. Okay. And there's a theory about the character that if it's true, it makes me love it even more. Yeah. But, but I do have a complaint about Eisenberg but just because he's so specific. Like, he's always Jesse Eisenberg. You can't see past because his mannerisms are so specific yeah. and oh, stuff like that. Sure. And there's a few moments in the movie where I think it fits well. But overall, I'm like, yeah. yeah. I feel like this is a well-written character that somebody else should have played. But the theory I was talking about, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a theory running Actually, around. I think we talked about it one time. Have we? Yeah. That he's not the real Lex Luthor. Oh. Right? That he is yeah. the son because of Lex Luthor. We talked about this before, and this is what's confusing. Yeah, well, you and I did talk yeah, about this because I went and looked it up yeah. because I don't know. And there's so many things to support that. A, the initial talk about Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. What if that's true? What if Brian Cranston is the real Lex Luthor and this is just his kid? So let's kill off Junior and get Senior back in the Exactly. <laughs> okay. Right, exactly. Um, um, B, there's several references. I don't know how many of them are in the theatrical versus the ultimate, but there's the, the legacy concept is huge for him, too. He talks about his father constantly. Right? Yeah. Um, but he also says things like, my father is the Lex in LexCorp. Right. Um, he's referred to as Alexander Luther Jr. several times, right. which um, in the comics... Isn't he Lionel Luther? Isn't that the dad? Well, see, that's the... That's the Granted, on the I'm tape. basing that on Smallville. Yes. Yeah. So I could be wild. So wrong. on Smallville, and I guess this is sort of a spoiler alert if you watch Supergirl, according to a recent episode of Supergirl, uh-huh. Lex's father is named Lionel, yeah. not Lex. But those are different takes. I'm not saying that has to be true here, right. too. Yeah. Um, but also in the comics, when you hear the name Alexander Luther, mm-hmm. that's a different person. Right. That's not Lex Luthor. Right. Hmm. So, and then there's so many hints throughout the movie, too, that I don't know if it's true. It could just be this is the way they chose to have yep. him deal with legacy similar to Batman right. and Superman. But I hope it's true. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because if Brian Cranston or whoever it is comes in and plays the real Lex Luthor, and not only has to deal with these heroes, but also has to deal with the crap hole that his son dug. Like, right. that's really interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Now, just because we're talking about characters really quick, yeah. you guys know they killed off a character in the first few minutes of the film that's pretty common in the comics. In the Ultimate Edition. Yeah, in the Ultimate Edition. Yeah, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. Oh, yes! Right. Yeah. He yeah, straight yeah. up calls himself Jimmy Olsen, they killed off Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. And he's credited, even in the original cut, he's the theatrical cut, he's credited as Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, if you watch the credit, they just don't yeah. say his name. I remember that now. Yeah. So they're definitely not bringing in Lois' yes. photographer. Yeah, <laughs> he's done. Um, but they have his character as a female at, at the Daily Yeah, Pilot, it's right? like Jenny. Jenny. Yeah. Jenny. Jenny, uh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, something so like the that. The one that Perry saves in Man of Steel. Yeah. That's, that's supposed that's to be the, the Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen character. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, my thoughts on Eisenberg, just really quick. I think his acting is fantastic. I've never had a problem with Jesse Eisenberg as an actor. I think he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys have probably heard me say this already. But Lex Luthor is such a good counterpoint to Superman. Because Superman, as being the quintessential American hero, truth, justice, in the American way. And then Lex Luthor being the corporate, greedy goon of what capitalism could be mm-hmm. is a good contrast, right? 
But we don't, we're not really getting that at all. This is, to me, this is not Lex Luthor. So I hope it's his son as well. Yeah, he seemed like he was running an R&D department. So that's not like <laughs> yeah. the Lex Luthor. Remember the old Doomsday cartoon, the Superman Doomsday, where like yeah. Lex like is sitting there and he's like, hold on. I just figured out how to cure cancer. And he writes down a blueprint. He says, <laughs> here, pass this out and turn it into a, medica- a, a pill that everybody has to take for the rest of their life. It was like, that's the maniacal evil capitalist that we're used to. But this guy, we're not even sure what he does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and that's why I, I feel like he's basically just being the Joker, right? Like, he's acting like Heath Ledger's Joker. That's kind of his deal, right? In many regards. So since we've already seen that, yeah. I'm just, why didn't you take the chance to actually have Lex Luthor? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Character-wise, I'd kind of equate him to Kylo Ren. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah, totally. <laughs> he's like the maladjusted, whiny person like, in the shadow of somebody else. Exactly. I get yes. that. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Cool. So that was a good discussion. I think that that's, that's worthy of the discussion. Um, so now transitioning to we've been talking about Lex. First question is, what do you think that Lex Luthor believes about Superman, and what do you think Bruce Wayne believes about Superman? What's behind those beliefs? And what's driving their actions in what the, and how they try to act towards Superman? And I'll turn to you first, Daryl. I think with Lex, this is where the legacy stuff kind of comes in too. And he even says it. You know, there's a scene on top of the building after he just threw Lois Lane off and Superman saved her. Where he basically says what he thinks of him. You know, with the whole, if God is all-powerful, then he cannot be all-good. And if he is all-good, then he cannot be all-powerful. And he makes reference to his father too. When he says, no man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations, you right. know? So I think his experience with his father has given him this, this feeling, again, that all-powerful and all-good cannot exist. Mm-hmm. So he's going for all-powerful. Doesn't care about being good. Mm-hmm. He wants power. And then he sees Superman come in and threaten that power by trying to be a god trying to be all good and all powerful and so i think that's why he hates him so much because he's jealous of him he's afraid of him like this sort of framework that his world exists in is being challenged by superman and he can't handle that right so i think he wants to tear that apart similar to the joker wanting to tear apart the establishment Mm -hmm. in the dark knight interesting yeah, for me, I think I just, in the extended cut, I think it's just, uh, I think his motivation is primarily, I just see it as like, it looks like he might have cut a deal with whatever villain's going to show up next. And part of that deal was getting Superman out of the way. So yeah, the power thing still remains. At this point, it doesn't even seem like he hates Superman that much. It's just like he just seems to be in the way of this other thing that's coming, but he's masking it in all of this power dynamic rhetoric. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's that's the extended cut. The theatrical cut, yeah, it seems to be that like he's got this jealousy going on and stuff, but in the extended cut, it d- definitely seems that there's something else like yeah. motivated him that we don't really know what it is. Although I think it's his initial conflict with Superman that leads him to even find out that that stuff exists. Oh, sure. Because he doesn't know about that until he gets into the ship. Mm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and then he has, nice. there's a scene where in the Ultimate Edition, that's not in the theatrical, where he's talking to this monster right before they arrest him. Yes. Yeah, the hologram. And the belief is that that's Steppenwolf, yeah. who is going to be a, the villain of the Justice League movie. Yeah, who just, like basically comes Dark before Darkseid to yeah. prepare the way or exactly. whatever. Oh, that, see, that would be cool. So yeah, I think that stuff, reaching out to that, is just him grasping for even more power. Okay. Which is consistent to Lex in the comics. 
it tends to be he's reaching out to Brainiac and trying to capture Brainiac more than Darkseid, mm. but yeah, same kind of feel. Mm. I lean a little bit towards your take on Lex. It's a little nuanced because I think that it's more, it's less about power and more about proving his intellect. Mm. In this in this particular version of Lex, which is weird because most versions of Lex I think are more about the power greed, like how much do I own, how much do I control thing. Um, but in this in this I think Superman re- represents a challenge because Lex won't allow his intellect to believe in a godlike being, and mm-hmm. therefore he must overcome that godlike being to prove his own worldview to be true. Right? That's like kind of my take on that. Which could be, I could be reading way too much into it, but he's a threat to Lex's narcissism, and therefore, uh, because that worldview could be broken, he's got to kind of overcome. Which, by the way, he conveniently just tells us his worldview at every turn. <laughs> <He does>. uh, <laughs> really, uh, really bringing back the whole comics monologuing. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, what about okay? So that's that's Lex. What about Bruce? I I think. Um... This is one of the things I love about using a Batman who's been Batman for 20 years. Because mm-hmm. um, you got to look at him. He's, so he's been Batman for 20 years. He's been dealing with the ugliness of Gotham for 20 years. He's been realizing that no matter how many criminals he takes out, more will pop up. Um, he's lost at least one Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes reference to how many good guys are left, how many stayed that way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of theories about that reference. Mm-hmm. My theory is that he's talking about Jason Todd, who was initially killed, but then came back and turned and became evil. So yeah. Red Hood. the dead Robin and then the, uh, that's all. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> If they don't do it, it's a missed opportunity. Exactly. Winter Soldier already proved you could effectively do that kind of a story yes. and it'll be very well received. And I've heard that that... At least one of the drafts of the the new the Batman film, which apparently is they're that. back to the they're back to be, the beginning. They're apparently their rumors are, are that it's like they're they're scrubbing what they have and starting yeah. over. Yeah, oh and really? That, it feels yeah. like that's happened a couple of times. Yeah. So who knows what they're doing now? But I think you see enough to know that he's disillusioned. He's suffered loss. He's been betrayed, hmm. um, and he even makes a reference later on to Alfred that criminals are like weeds. You pull one, another one pops up. But this is about the future of the world. Mm -hmm. So I think, if I go back to my legacy thing, I think he feels like he has failed his father's legacy Mm because he hasn't really made a difference. Uh, Um, And he sees protecting the world from Superman as a way to do that. But he just sees him as a threat because in his experience, anything that takes away people's freedom or whatever anything that comes into play like that yeah is just dangerous mm-hmm. and he doesn't care about personality anymore he doesn't care about what kind of person people are right he just sees threats and right. has to eliminate them and also in the extended count we see that like you know like it's been set up to make it look like superman was killing others to like save others yeah. as well so yeah. like the fact that all those bodies were burned and so all of a sudden it's like is this is this like godlike individual um overreaching not like uh, using his power and like again think about the first time he meets him is the first film i mean there's just no concern for collateral damage and that final fight was Zod. totally (laughs) you're taking out a whole city people are dying and these buildings falling over just throw the guy into space throw the guy into a desert all you have to do is be anywhere but in the middle of a city to have that fight yeah yeah and there's you know there's a lot of complaints about the fact that this batman kills he doesn't do it 
I mean, it's not overt. He doesn't walk up to somebody and shoot him in the head. But he fires he guns and missiles at cars that our people are yeah. in and blows yeah. them up. So he's definitely racking up a body count yeah. in this movie. And it's the same problem when, spoiler alert, when Superman kills Zod at the end of Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. People didn't expect that. People didn't see it coming. In Zack Snyder's mind, there was a reason for it. Right. He should have put the reason in the movie. Would have made people a lot more right. happy. But um, I think there's a similar thing here. If you consider the attack, not the attack, but the battle between Zod and Superman that's in the beginning of this movie that takes down a Wayne building and kills countless people. Including his friends. um, And then realize the fact that this is 18 months later and then couple that with the line that Alfred says, um, you know, this is how it starts, the fire that turns good men cruel. Mm -hmm. Then you can kind of start to see, okay... He's become this since mm-hmm. this since Superman came into play. Yeah, right. So he's not trying to kill people, but he's not trying not to. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's that same like dismissive line for Batman Begins. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah, it's like, exactly. That's the same thing, yeah. dude. Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> I, 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 you guys covered it really completely I think the one thing I would add is that I think the Superman viewpoint in the film is like at the 100,000 foot level like how do I save the planet there's a bigger solar system and universe behind this Mm -hmm. how do I save that whereas Batman is this like yeah but there's us too Uh, there's us non-super beings around and then he's kind of rebelling against that I think you guys covered it really well Um, so this one's an interesting one with Zack Snyder there are multiple views on evil expressed throughout the film in terms of people's worldviews and what they're kind of fighting for, their motivations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think that Zack Snyder as a storyteller feels about evil and then do you agree with him? So I'll turn to you first, Tim. Oh, boy. Okay. This this is a tough one for me. Um, (laughs) Because he's kind of different in every film he approaches, I think, on this subject. Like when you think about 300, um, I mean... The good guys, if we call the Spartans that, are just fine executing people because they don't take prisoners, and we're just kind of chill with that, even though I call that evil. Uh, (laughs) Watchmen, the idea of, like, creating one evil to bring about a good, and that kind of, he's kept that one thing consistent, I think, in this film with Man of Steel, and that's the whole point, you know, like, the idea of, like, that's why Superman screams, because he killed somebody, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to cross that line, but the guy gave him no other choice, and it's this one exception here it's not as clear where those ethical guidelines are because right. and that's where it gets very confusing superman doesn't kill but he's kind of chill with batman going to save his mother and then we see a lot of necks get broken he definitely killed some of those there was guys. a guy like he hit someone you see his head hit the wall and there's just a blood spatter on the yeah. wall I'm like i'm pretty sure that guy's dead <laughs> and if not he's his brain is hemorrhaging and i don't think batman called the paramedics afterwards yeah. so right. there doesn't it's to me, it's a little more confused, like, what is the point? And then, then I mean, if we're going to talk about, like, kill something or not kill something, technically, Doomsday is a creature with consciousness of some kind. Right. But they, And they still decided to have, but they, they dehumanized it so much to the point where it's like, it's this force of nature that just needs to be killed. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know if I could even easily answer, like, what he thinks good and evil are for this one. Right. I mean, in my heart of hearts, what I wanted was that discussion. Like, it should have been there. Like, that's what's so wonderful about The Dark Knight Returns, the old Frank Miller story, is that 
There's no other character. There's no Doomsday who shows up to distract them from their central ideological differences because that should be the whole point. Yes. Is what do you do? Are, and like I, I think the Dark Knight, in which they draw a lot of that stuff on here, is that there's that question about like you know Superman is a pawn for the government. Is that what it means to be right? And then Batman says, no, what we do is illegal. It has to stay that way. And that's where he sees like a checks and balances going on. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you will not realize if you're doing something evil if you just do what the government allows you to do because it takes that responsibility away and blah, blah, blah. Civil War kind of did that, but they even that film didn't do it very effectively either. Though I would say did it better than this one. Right. Um, because they just kind of ignored a lot of those central questions all for that melodramatic moment where they realize their mothers shared the same name. Uh, and oh, we'll come back to that. I know. We have to come back to that. So I don't have a very clear answer. For me, it was more frustrating because there wasn't a very clearly established idea about anything as far as that goes. And it was just set up in such a way where we just kind of dismiss it. I mean, more of the conversation about if Batman kills or not came from one of the producers at Warner Brothers before the film even premiered. And... But if you're just watching, you might be like, wait, what just happened? Oh, yeah, they died. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of where it was all kind of a mishmash for me. Got it. So, What about you? Um, yeah, it's not super clear. It's definitely not like Star Wars clear, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nothingness. Um, <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, that's frustrating. In other ways, I like it. I like the gray, le- le- the, the grayness of that because I like that you can kind of see some through line of why Lex Luthor became the way he is. Yeah. And then you can see the risk of Batman and even Superman ending up like that way too. What I think it kind of seems to come down to for me is balance mm. or a lack of balance leading to evil. Mm. So in Superman's case, it's the balance between trying to do good, but not letting that become his identity as, mm-hmm. you know, not letting him believe his own right. hype, you know? Right. Um, which is why I really love, okay, is the scene, there's a scene where he has a conversation with Jonathan Kent on top of a snowy mountain. Oh, yes. Which is obvious, obviously it's a vision because Jonathan Kent's dead, but, um, is that in the theatrical? I think so. I think it is. is, is, Yes. Okay. That's one of my favorite scenes. It's a great scene, yeah. A, because I love Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent, which shocked the heck out of me. I hated it when they casted him, but then seeing Man of Steel, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love that scene also because of what just the story he tells him about how he there was this flood coming and he stopped the water from from destroying the Kent farm. Right. But in the process, the water destroyed the Lang farm. Right. And so just that whole idea of that of grounding Superman in that. So um, yeah, I kind of see it as a lack of balance leads to evil, which I think in life is absolutely true. Um. In life, evil, I feel like, is even harder to define, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, what's evil? What's just off track? What can you come back from? What can't you come back from? Right. You know? Right. But um, I feel like that's pretty true to life. I think if you have a lack of balance in different aspects, whatever it may be, um, you know, physical health, if you have a lack of balance in what you eat, you're going to suffer consequences of that. Right. If you have a lack of balance in, you know, spiritually, morally, ethically, mm-hmm. socially, in your community, whatever it may be, unchecked, I think that can lead to really bad places. It is interesting that, like, 
you mentioned, Tim, I mean, violence is not evil in this film. Mm-hmm. There's no point at which, like, because even even when in Man of Steel, when Soups kills Zod, right? Even that moment is not evil. It's not really evil because what would have happened if he didn't do it? Right. So he has some personal trauma over the fact that he did it, but it, we don't inherently go like, "Wow, what an evil character!" Like Superman <laughs> yeah. become right. Um, so that's kind of an interesting take. I think the only things that I could find, and by the way, I think you're both right. Like, and that's actually one thing I love about Snyder is that there's this, and it's in Watchmen too. It's in 300. It's this, mm. like, man, the things that we do to each other, and like, there's something inherently wrong with us as human beings where the ability to do good and the ability to do evil exists in every single one of us. And just like play that out for a second and see mm. what happens. I think that's cool. Um, I did find that the perversion of the human race is on there mm-hmm. because Lex perverting the human race with his blood. Mm-hmm. And the te- Although technology is the opposite. Technology is more of a savior than it is an evil. Because if you look at Kryptonians and how they use technology, it's never really an evil thing so much as it's normally a good thing. Like progression. Well, that's what kills their planet, though. True, true. At least in Man of Steel, that's eventually it's because they never really saw it. Like the hubris of Kryptonians led to them drilling too close to the core and it caused the whole planet to be destroyed. But is genocide evil? <laughs> no, yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next podcast. Yeah, is yeah, genocide yeah. evil. <laughs> which, which actually, that's a good pickup because I actually said that political corruption and corporate greed mm. are considered evil yes. by him. So technology in and of itself might not be, but if you t- if you use that in your own greed to control, right. there does seem to be some evil about that. And then the final one that I had was narcissism. So that being particularly looking out for oneself and being better than everyone else is sort of seen as a, and that's what Superman struggles with, right? Like, am I really better than everybody else or am I like everybody else? I just have superpowers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's some of that wrestling there. But I do think what he does that's really nice is that he, first of all, he doesn't do, uh, he does do a, some expository dialogue where he has people telling exactly what they think. But in terms of like good and evil, it's all showing. It's not like, you know, some of the movies like, like, like Star Wars, it can be so over the top. Yeah. Like, must you really wear a completely crazy black (laughs) outfit and like have a red lightsaber? I mean, like, these are, these are more evilly toned things, right? Like you look scary if you do bad things. Um, whereas this is more of a cause and effect. Like, we see the characters doing things, mm-hmm. they're doing activities, and the effect looks evil to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's actually pretty well done. Yeah. And it shows mm-hmm. the as well. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. 
Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. Um, okay, I think we have a couple questions left before we're done. Oh, we have three questions left. I knew this was going to be a long podcast. <laughs> so throughout Man of Steel, um, and Tim, you had a slightly different take on this. This will be an interesting question to explore. But throughout Man of Steel, um, Zack Snyder... I think hits us over the head with some of the comparisons between Superman and Jesus Christ. Um, whereas you thought, thought it was more subtle, so this would be interesting. Do you feel like those comparisons are present here? We touched on it a little bit already, but Daryl, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely here, but it's starting to break down. Um, both amongst the people around him, around Superman, and within himself. Hmm. Which I think is a good natural progression um, and I agree, I do think it was sort of hit over the head in Man of Steel too, so not to gang up on you. But, no, no, you're good. Um, I mean, there's that one scene where he literally cuts a hole in the ship and then he comes out of it with his arms spread out, right, like right. in the cross. No, that was pretty shameless. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I think it's definitely present here, but I think it's starting to break down, which again is good because that's a real struggle that Superman can face. Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tim? Okay, first off, I would say, yeah, it's in Man of Steel, but not as much as the older films, which were so, so, so shameless about it. Definitely this one, not yeah, as much as this one has return. like several shameless moments, but it definitely feels a lot more subdued in comparison to the other ones. And now Batman versus Superman, oof, just the God conversation topic, I think, as far as like, if we're going to talk like strictly like... Uh, like messianic moments. Yes. I can't think of many except like the one shot you noted, like <laughs> the hand to the sky. Well, there's the one um, in Juarez after he saves the girl from the burning building when the whole crowd. Oh, like has their hands out, out to him, him, reaches yeah. out to him, like he's so. It's a mostly like little visual. Things. Yeah, and again, but those are all within that commentary of he's a false god. So I, so it's in there, but just. It just, to me, seems much more about, like, you know, responsible use of power, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're just kind of using discussion about God to get us to that point. Yeah. So Yeah, I do think, to back that up, I do think that there's a... Um, what word do I want to use? There's a... I'm using the name Jesus Christ because that's our cultural context from a Judeo-Christian background coming from... Europe coming mm. from whatever. So I do think that in this context, you could put another spiritual figure in mm. place of Jesus and use that as a discussion topic. So I do want to put that out there first. I do see some. Of, so here's some of the similarities that I brought up, and you guys can you know say if you disagree or agree. You have him being worshipped by some people, called a false god and reviled by others. And based on what we know of the Jesus Christ narrative both from a historical perspective and a spiritual perspective, that would be accurate, right? Right. Some people calling it like worshiping, some people saying this, he's a false god. Um, people are looking for Superman to slip up. So if Jesus is supposed to be without sin, that was actually mm-hmm. something that they were trying to yeah. point out. Like, is there a way that he's going to slip up and not do this? Um, Superman is tempted. Jesus was tempted. Superman struggles with how humanity views him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's quite the same as the way that Jesus deals with it. Right. But it's, there's some similarities. Um, and finally, this is probably the biggest thing, is obviously at the end of this film, we see him die, and clearly he's going to rise again at some point. So there's some, there are some comparisons. Any, anything else that you guys would say about that? Any 
Well, going on that, I would say, like, even when Superman, like, goes off into, like, his moment of isolation. Yeah. That's very right. much like, you know, like, Christ, like, 40 days in the wilderness kind of a thing. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. I absolutely want to go with that theme. It's there. It's there, yeah. Yeah. I did find some major differences as well. So, obviously, in the, in the, in the narrative, in the Jesus Christ narrative, there's no love interest. Yeah. Here, Lois is a big part of it. Well, right? Jesus Christ Superstar, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I should say which narrative. And in the future... In the future, that's going to be a big deal because you get, I, I know you may be frustrated with all the hints to the stuff that's to come, yeah. but one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the Flash appears to him Oh yeah. in what seems like appears a dream. Appears to Bruce or? To Bruce. Yeah, to Bruce yeah. and says, Lo- Lois is the key. Yes. Uh, and then there's the scene, the, the dream sequence where Superman says, she was my world. Um, all of that seems to actually harken back more to the video games than it does the comics. Yeah. But... <laughs> But I love, I love, I love, I love Flash appearing to Bruce like that because that is like straight out of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is the first story I read. Him coming as a vision back in time to Batman. But um, yeah, I think that difference between him and Christ is only going to get bigger because she's going to start to massively influence his motivation for everything he does. Yeah, because he's not going to be biased. I mean, he stops the fight to go save her. I mean, luckily, the uh, spear with the kryptonite spear was there too. Right. But like, he would stop anything. So, like, he really would. He would go and stop. He would stop the world to like save her. Right. I mean, that's consistent with the old '78 films too. I mean, he turned back time. Yeah. Which is wildly irresponsible. <laughs> that's right. And scientifically ridiculous, but fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the other the other major difference is that. Obviously, Jesus was born on Earth, not another planet. So mm-hmm. there's that alien component yeah. that's kind of strange. The third one is that I don't believe, I'm not aware of any, uh, there's a record of Jesus committing an act of violence. Right? Like um, The closest there ever would be considered like an act of violence would be him like uh, throwing over like the, the tables. Uh, tables. Right? And yeah. then that would be, like that's him like more pissed off than like exactly. actually an act of violence. As far as things go, like... Righteous that's, anger. Yeah. But, you know, for a more Western, more specifically American audience, that doesn't seem to matter as much because we're right. just kind of okay with violence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I do... So here's a, here's a weird part about this and then making this comparison. Because um, I actually like, uh, and I haven't seen The Last Temptation of Christ, but I think it's fantastic that the most like, radically discussed scene in that film is the um, sexual dream that he has, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that actually, if you're reflecting on that, not having seen the film, <laughs> I'm like, what a great concept to show how human because if we if we're looking at the biblical narrative jesus is fully god fully human Mm -hmm. so he's gonna have temptations he's gonna have dreams that he probably doesn't like right like it doesn't mean he's sinning um i thought that was really cool so but the weird thing is here is that the comparison sort of exists though i think it is more messianic as you said as opposed Mm -hmm. to specific to jesus christ but it's weird that like in in the in our narrative of Jesus Christ, at least my belief system about the narrative of Jesus Christ, he's really a savior that's specifically related to spirituality. And the gospel message is about being connected to God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But this narrative is completely different. It's not, this is about being an earthly savior. It's about being hope to what your, your physical world is. Mm-hmm. It's about so, preventing you from dying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of strange. I'm not necessarily sure that it's, it's a helpful comparison. I'm not offended that it exists. It's just kind of weird. Like, why bring it up to, to a certain degree? But maybe that mythology is so 
potent throughout other historical narratives and other spiritual narratives that it's worth bringing up? I don't know. Hmm. Well, I think the reason to bring it up is to show that it's not true. It is to show uh, that he's not a god and he's not a savior. Interesting. And I think that's yeah, and I think that's one of the more interesting things, especially in the ultimate edition, you kind of get to see Clark's journey better and his realization. Yeah. He's struggling to understand what's true and what's not true. That's why yeah. he gets in that argument with Perry. That's why he goes in search of the truth. And since he is an imperfect man, he is misled. So a prison shipping happens under like because Lex wanted it to, and he doesn't know that because right. he is not a god. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Two more questions. Although usually I wrap like three or four questions into one question. <laughs> so this is the darkest live action Batman that I think we've seen. Uh, although I did note that in my rewatch of is either Batman Returns or the original Batman, I don't remember uh, the the um, blank on his name. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton Batman. He does blow up some things with missiles and stuff too. Yeah. Anyways, oh yeah. Um, He's got machine guns on the Batmobile. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And Danny DeVito bites a guy's nose, which was super gross. <laughs> returns. <laughs> but you don't have any problem with it, because it doesn't look like he's blowing up a city. It looks like he's blowing up a movie set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman as this darker Batman? Like, in our Nolan Batman trilogy, we talked a lot about Batman's motivation. What do you think is Batman's motivation and purpose in this particular film? We'll start with you, Tim. So, it does seem like, and I think the issue here is that when you look at both these characters, like both Superman and Batman, I mean, their goals are both the same, to protect people. I think it's just how far are they willing to go, what are they willing to actually do, is come, comes into question. So we find out from this, on the Superman side that he's pretty benevolent to the most, for the most part, except for when Lois is involved, and then whereas Batman is like, um, it's just a very one-dimensional view about crime, the idea of like reform is not in his vocabulary, which is not consistent with like the Batman of the comics either. Because like when like Two Face is put in jail, like he pays for the guy to get to get reformed to like oh, yeah. get help and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the primary reasons I might be making this up, but that might be one of the primary reasons why he like provides funding for Arkham Asylum is not just to keep them there, but he wants to actually see some of them get help, uh, even like though he might not believe they can. Yeah. Um, but this is a very pessimistic guy who is much more like, just get him out of here. That's why he's okay with the branding thing. And he doesn't care what happens to <laughs> right. those who get branded with the bat symbol, which is a new thing altogether. That's and one of the big story elements I have a problem with. I want to know, did he brand people before Superman came onto the scene? Yeah. Because they seem shocked by at it, the start, at it. At the start of the film, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't know how far back that's been going yeah. on. Yeah. It long enough... I don't know. Um, so that's, that's explained in the extra hour of director's cut. It was cut from. So he's this guy. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about before, he's jaded. Yeah. Um, he believes he wants to protect people. He will protect people, but he just has kind of forgotten where that line is. Mm. And and that's pretty similar to how he's depicted in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, where it's this guy who's like. You know, he's kind of there, but even in The Dark Knight Returns, like, there's that hysterical scene where he's in his tank, and he's just shooting rubber bullets at all the mutant gang members. <laughs> and it's just all these rubber bullets hitting everybody. But he then does kill their leader. <laughs> I, don't think he, I don't think he intended to, but, like, it's not like he was using discretion during that entire fight. So he kind of knew it was a possibility and decided that was okay. Right. So it's a little bit closer to that. 
Um, you know, he's much more willing. And in both cases, you see like a character is just kind of more willing. Like if he needs to, he'll break someone's wrist. Right. So, which is kind of like younger Batman would be much more reserved. Right. To not do something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Excellent. Daryl? I think that sums him up really well. The only thing I would add to that, I agree with all of that. Um, I think an interesting thing for me in this is, again, going back to legacy, is Bruce's, is Thomas Wayne's legacy mm-hmm. on Bruce. Bruce was so young when his dad died that I don't think, you know, you can only know your parents so well when you're that young because you haven't developed enough to know somebody as well as you can when sure. you're an adult. So I think his, the legacy that's left with him is a very iconic you know, Thomas Wayne was a good person in Gotham City. He helped a lot of people. We don't get a lot of specifics on that here, but other iterations have told us that's true. And so I think the legacy he has of his father is this icon of good and helping people and making mm-hmm. a difference. And I just think after 20 years of him, you know, digging around in the mud of Gotham, he just doesn't feel like he's lived up to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why he's so jaded. Mm. And I can understand that. You know, when I was a kid, my dad was perfect. <laughs> you right, know, right, right. my dad knew everything. He could do everything. He was right about everything. Um, now I've had the benefit of growing up with my dad and getting to know him better as a person. Right. And not that I don't love my dad and still revere him, but I know that nobody's perfect and nobody mm-hmm. knows everything and right. can do everything. So I think that experience missing from Bruce's life. Um, I feel like this iteration of Batman focuses on that better than any of the other ones have Got in the it. past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that there is this, there's this interesting um, correlation because we just did a podcast on The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. And in, in my mind, this particular Batman is it's very similar to the Batman in The Dark Knight Rises when he's first coming back out of his eight years of no Batmaning. Right. From the, the <laughs> There's new... been a long break. It's been years yeah. since he's been Batman. Yeah. Exactly. So that Batman makes the takes the character arc of giving up the mantle, knowing that there could be somebody to do it better than him. And we talked about how he's become jaded and he's mm-hmm. become there's gotta be somebody else that has a better way of doing this than I am there, I almost feel like if you cut that film and then said he didn't give up the mantle, he just dug himself in, mm-hmm. you get this Batman. Right. Yeah. He just keeps continually going like, you know, he sees these things keep happening that are corrupt and evil in his city, mm-hmm. and he's like, I better get more violent. If I'm going to fight corruption and like completely erase it, and there's going to be no more Banes, I better start killing these guys, right? Like, And he just right. ramps it up, ramps it up, ramps it up. So he sort of doubles down on his own bitterness and anger so right. it kind of been I, I really like the take and you keep bringing up some of the comics that this is sort of Batman is based off of mm-hmm. and those are my favorite I like to see Batman struggle with those things mm-hmm. he is a darker dude to begin with so why why wouldn't he consider like well now if I kill him how would that change things mm-hmm. like he should consider that right like yeah. I want him to consider that and I don't want him to start killing people necessarily I'm not saying that but I think it should be part of his character to struggle with it now, the next question, which is the last question, could probably be an entire podcast <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> but I, lo- I love the question, so I want to ask it to you guys anyways, because you guys have great takes on this kind of stuff. So, I believe that Zack Snyder and the DC team 
so far, thus far, and I actually think they might like, <laughs> they might take this back a little bit, but they've chosen to use progressive characters. And what I mean by that is more recent interpretations um, as opposed to our the classic, more traditional versions of the characters, mm -hmm. which Marvel in its main movies has kind of gravitated more to. Obviously, that's not true of some of the Marvel takes, especially their extended universe stuff on right. TV and stuff. But in terms of their movies, they've gravitated towards some of that stuff. Now, Fox with Logan and Deadpool is different too. But I'm talking about like Iron Man, Avengers, right. those kind of things. That's definitely where they started. They're transitioning out of that a little, especially with Captain Marvel. They're going to go with Captain Marvel being the woman. Yep. And once Chris Evans' contract's up and it seems like he's not coming back, it's going to be Bucky. If it's not Bucky, that's a missed opportunity again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. So my question is, which take do you prefer in your films and why? Do you prefer the more progressive take? Do you prefer the more traditional take? Um, and do you think the characters that were used in Batman versus Superman work in this more progressive take? So we'll start with Daryl. Can I answer the question by dodging it? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's always an option. Um, I don't have a preference. I actually mm -hmm. I love that we have both. Okay. And I'm not... Like, like Tim was saying, I'm not totally sure that when you look at every single character, the traditional versus progressive thing holds up. Because hmm. I think, I, even Tony Stark seems like a fairly progressive version of Iron Man. I just never but paid I that much attention to his personality when I read the comics to yeah, know. Like, and I don't know early Marvel well enough yeah. to make that call either. It's definitely true that Warner Brothers is using progressive versions of right, the DC right, characters. Right, right. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. um, so traditional versus progressive... Yeah, I think that's kind of true, but there's definitely dark versus more optimistic. Sure. You know, and I love, love, love that we have both. Mm. I love that I can go watch Batman versus Superman and come out of it a little darkened and thinking about things a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I can go watch Avengers Age of Ultron and feel super happy in a very accessible way <laughs> right. that everything is great, yeah, you know? Yeah. I love that we have both of those things, and I think that it's okay for DC to be doing this kind of stuff now because they've done the optimistic stuff in the past. Like we have mm -hmm. Richard Donner's Superman from 1978. That mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, still an amazing movie. Still holds up yeah. as a great positive superhero film. Um, I don't know that you can make a positive Batman film, but we've certainly seen the more lighthearted versions of Batman, mm -hmm. Joel yeah. Schumacher, and they're not good. Um, <laughs> don't forget the Adam West one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain... When there's a foam shark attacking... Was it Batman <laughs> at the leg? But he had his bat shark repellent. Oh, I forgot yes. about that. Yeah. Have you seen the Lego Batman? Oh, so good. They make fun of that so hard. I oh, yeah. That <laughs> movie had so many hilarious Easter eggs. Yeah. I still need to see that one. Oh, my gosh. There's so... It's so fun. Yeah. It's going to be another podcast, I'm sure. But I even have a soft spot in my heart for the Adam West Batman, because that's the first time I saw a real person put on a Batman costume mm. and act like Batman in front of me. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't see the 40s film serial? Not till later. <laughs> <laughs> um... So I love that we have both. Um, let me look at my notes and see if I was going to say anything that I'm not thinking of. Um, I guess just the other thing would be the difference in the way that the two cinematic universes came about. Mm. Marvel had the benefit of starting organically, you know? Mm -hmm. They had the benefit of Jon Favreau coming along, making Iron Man, 
putting a little something at the end of it that could lead to something else if it's successful. Yeah. And then and they, they greenlit it the Monday after that film premiered. Yeah. And they were like, oh, by the way, we got three more. What? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and then it just blew up and it continues to blow up and they keep doing it well. Right. Um, DC didn't come along until that was already well established and like I said before, now they have this problem of making something good but not like that. They have to do it differently. Right. You know? So they can't use credit stings. They have to be darker, whatever it may be. They can, though. I don't see why they don't. It's such a common thing. Everybody does it now. Everyone does it, yeah. Good grief. Fast and Furious films are doing it. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kong Skull Island had one. Like, <laughs> everybody does it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, I would, yeah, I would agree with the traditional progressive thing, but um, I don't gravitate towards one over the other. I do think the characters from Batman vs. Superman work uh, really well, actually. I think one of their biggest hindrances is Zack Snyder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking forward to other filmmakers getting their hands on these characters. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think we have a good foundation to build an exciting cinematic universe. What do you think? What's your take, Tim? Um... What was the question? There's <laughs> <laughs> like four questions. Yeah, it was, it's really more about like progressive characters versus traditional characters. Which do you prefer? Why do you prefer? Right. Them? And then do um, the BBS and I'm characters. the same way. I don't have a preference as long as it's good storytelling. Mm. I mean, the Marvel films are easy to swallow. Like the 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 Disney owned Marvel films are easy to swallow. They go down well. Um, all nicely kind of uh, concluded. Um, Logan, I thought was fantastic, even though it wasn't a Marvel film, so that was completely different as well. No costumes whatsoever. I mean, and then, I mean, how do you know? For me, like, the, the creme de la creme is still The Dark Knight. To me, that's still, like, when you talk about what it's like to make a good superhero film that people can take seriously, that's still the primary example, and that's wildly different. To me, I wouldn't say that's a very progressive interpretation, except for the fact that Batman in the comics doesn't wear black. Right. Yeah. But that's something that Tim Burton introduced because he probably thought the gray and or the bluishy gray and yellow would look really ridiculous. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's interpretive. But yeah, they're definitely getting there with the, I mean, the new Joker. Good grief. I mean, he had a grill. Um, <laughs> uh, so they're doing something different there. I mean, Harley Quinn looked like she shopped at Hot Topic. And then you've got... And the hardest one for me to adapt would probably be Aquaman, just because that's the stupidest name for a character. Right. <laughs> and Aquaman, there's some pretty bad ones. That one's pretty bad. Like, anytime a lad is in the name, mm. like, why yeah. lad? Good grief. But, so, the fact that they completely revamped him didn't make him, like, an Aryan guy, but, like, made him, like, somebody who looks like, like fits more perfectly. I mean, we're talking about an actor who used to be on Baywatch, so he knows yeah. the beach pretty well. Um, so there's that part going for it. I mean, they actually worked his real tattoos into the costume and said, like, let's not give him an orange top and a green bottom. Let's just have him be shirtless. I'm like, great. Revise that crap. Right. Um, because there's some things that might be able to be illustrated and look pretty fine, but on screen they don't look that good. And that's been the challenge of Captain America. His costume can look really cheesy, and that's yep. why it keeps going through revisions. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and that's what the problem with Superman, too, is, like, if you're too bright, then you look like the American flag. Right. Um, so they're definitely, their shtick is, as they've been marketing themselves for a long time, is we're grittier. Right. And so, and their whole thing is, like, keep people on, yeah, the one new thing they're trying to bring to it is with all our characters are probably going to look, look a little different than you expect. And it's like, I respect that. I'll get some better writers. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have the same take. I, although, the one thing I would say in response to what you guys are saying is I actually do prefer the progressive take over the traditional take. Mm -hmm. 
I think that there's a the classic characters were generally more wholesome. Uh-huh. They generally didn't struggle. Struggle. Why can't I talk? My coffee's running out. Struggle. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't struggle with their own humanity the way these right. characters do. And so, in like, I think you can even look at it from like you mentioned the names. Like even Superman, if they came up, with, if they came out with that name now, we would all be like, it only works world? because of nostalgia. It only works because of nostalgia, right? The yeah. name Batman does is actually oh, ridiculous. Like exactly, Dark Man would have been a more universal name than Batman. Yeah, yes. We don't care now. Great yeah. movie, by the way, Dark Man. <laughs> just the first one, though, right? Yes. Okay. Well, when we're talking about revision too, that's actually a great point too, because they just released the film cells for the next Thor film, and yeah. that that franchise has struggled. You'd think, like, dude, just tap into why people loved like Lord of the Rings, and you're good to go. <laughs> right. But they've really just phoned it in. I don't even know how, but it's been so they they've been pretty cheesy. Yeah. And while I'll watch them, because yeah, they're fun, they're easy to digest, but like they're just kind of weak. Right. But like the new stills, have you seen them? No. It looks good. It looks good because it's all about like this new character like gets unleashed onto uh, Asgard, and she takes away Thor's hammer and ejects him to a planet called Sakaar and he's forced to become a gladiator so it's him with this gladiator looking out for like these three red lines down his face and he has to be a gladiator and he has to go up against the top gladiator in the pit hmm. Hulk oh no way yeah yep. so no more wigs no more oh, yeah he's they shaved head he's a shaved head really yeah so they're try- starting to realize it's time to like do something different with this character so Marvel tends to yeah start in that one location but I think they're starting to also realize let's let's pick it up and like move on to yeah. something else real quick here folks yeah and that's what i loved about like when captain america went straight into civil like went into winter soldier as the sequel i was like thank you we don't have to spend like one movie setting up the best story arc they've ever done let's yeah. just jump right into that oh, right um yeah so i do think the progressive characters are better they, they do a better job of addressing today's modern audience mm-hmm. and 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 the, and the conflict that we want to see we were all young kids who love comics we've grown up now we'd like to see something with more depth in it not to say that the films for long, young kids are shouldn't be made i'm not saying that it's just that let's have both in the world so i, I like that too mm-hmm. um any final thoughts on this movie yeah so so we have to go back and talk about we have to yes yeah more so Martha, the so convenient the great... coincidence that saved <laughs> Superman's life. Okay, I'm going to defend it. I'm going to attempt to defend so it. So you're in line with the Forbes magazine writer who is all about this. I forget his name, but he, in both editions, justified it to the core. Not so. necessarily. Um, I'm, well, I'm going to redirect it, let's say, okay. more than defend it. So I do think it's cool and fun that somebody finally shined a light on the fact that they both have mothers named Martha, which is just something that we've spent 75 years not recognizing. Right, which right, I, didn't you know? even, I didn't even realize. I didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah, I knew it, but nobody ever talks about it. You know, there's no, there's no reason to talk about it. The only thing I will say is watching that scene again this week, I don't feel like it's the fact that Superman's mother is named Martha that gives that stops him from... Sure. I think it's enough to give him pause, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately the reason that he turns and doesn't kill him and instead allies with him is not because his mother's named Martha, it's because he has his mother. 
And that's what I got from it too. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would agree that he has a mother. It humanizes him for exactly. that one moment. He suddenly realizes that I'm not dealing with this entity. I'm dealing with somebody who has a mother, and I get that. And it shines a light really on the fact do. that he's been overlooking people. Like his mission is his mission, and he's been overlooking the fact that people are people, and there's nuances and differences. So I think, I think it snaps him back to a little bit of the old Bruce a bit. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's. I'm not saying everybody has to like it, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah. secure in my enjoyment. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> but I do think it's worth mentioning. I really feel like it's not the name. It's the mm-hmm. fact that his mom's still alive. So. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. My one thing is, like, how quickly after that the transition occurs. It's too quick. Where it's like, we're not, like, nobody even mentions, like, hey, by the way, Lex Luthor's been pawning you both, and yeah. maybe we should address that. All of a sudden, it's like, we're good. Oh, crap, your mom's in trouble. I'm on it. Peace. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a quick transition all of a sudden to, like, we went straight from, like, I'm going to kill you to you're my BFF. Yeah. And why does that happen? And this is, this is, my, my, the Martha moment. I'm not quite to your level called. of support. <laughs> yeah, the Martha moment. The I'm Martha not quite moment. to your level of derision. But where I am is that I'm so frustrated that basically it was like we have another film we need to show, right? We need to, we need to introduce the new villain, Doomsday, and we have to realize that that's the actual villain. And this isn't really Batman v Superman. That's a dumb name for this movie because yeah. it's not really about that. That's what frustrated me. And it didn't need to be there. Exactly. From my point of view, when I first heard about this film, I'm thinking, all right, if we want to use the Dark Knight as a model, which I think is a great idea for every film out there, doesn't matter if you're covering Shakespeare, doing a beach comedy, or doing a superhero (laughs) movie, I think Dark Knight's a great model, then here's the situation. Superman's Batman, and Batman is the Joker trying to outthink him. Yeah, and like to uh, like think him out at every turn because that's the whole thing is that Batman, which they've never covered in these films, is he's the world's greatest detective. Right. He's a genius, and it's all about like this guy who knows that he's going up against a mighty foe, and he has to find some way to outsmart him. And it just needs to be about that. Exactly. Yeah. And that should have been the whole film. Yep. It, if it had the bravery to just end where there was no resolution, let the resolution happen in a Justice League movie where the world's getting attacked and they have to just like get over their bickering. Yep. Yeah. Why couldn't that have been this film? That's exactly my whole point for why I take points off. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I love the film, but just like, please stop and resolve this and do not go into that next piece. Yeah. Like, don't even touch it. Yeah. Doomsday didn't need to be there at all. And That's too easy. Here's yeah. the kicker, though. The Dark Knight, the reason that happened is it's the Dark Knight's fault because a lot of people hate how the Dark Knight ended yeah. because of the whole Two Face twist. The quick cut, oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole thing, it's like it should have just ended with like the Joker, like laughing, you know, kind of just stopped there, but then it had that other element. It's like, you know what? I just think it, that worked very well. Yeah. But I get why some people were like, eh, it should have just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like that he goes to save Clark's mom and stuff like that. I think the, the fixes to that could have been so simple and it would, could have been all dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't say, I'm a friend of your son's, you know? And right. Don't say stuff like that. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and maybe be a little bit more begrudging about it. Right. What kills me is like I would have loved, and if they revise it, taking out the doomsday thing, save the saves the mother, and then like Superman says thank you, and he says I didn't do it for you, and like leaves, kind yeah. of like with that jaded, still really mad like tone. Yeah. That would have worked so much more effectively. Yeah, yeah that, so that kind good. of a, an approach. And I get that Superman exists. I mean, not Superman. Doomsday existed for a couple of reasons to give Wonder Woman a reason to show herself. Which, by the way, is probably one of the best moments in the entire. Oh yeah, film. when totally. she like when her shield. I got chills. Yeah. When yeah. she lunges into the fight, I was like, Yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah, 
So it, he's there for that, and then he's there to kill Superman, yeah. which they're using to drive Batman and Wonder Woman to put the Justice League together. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Feels too easy to me. Yes. Let Superman live. Let's stop killing Superman <laughs> in the end of Superman movies. That's been happening for like the last three Superman <laughs> movies. Returns. What else? What else? They did that? temporarily kill him in Man of Steel. He had to like go up in the sun. Oh yeah. And, like, yeah. A version of his death. And not to mention when they did the nuclear like the nuke in this one too. Yeah. Which I was yeah. like, man, they're just like poaching from that one comic so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, it would have been more interesting for me to see a non-dead Superman at the end of the movie. Yeah. Still having to come to terms with things that he was facing, but now having to work Bruce and Diana into it as well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think a big giant monster was the only way to motivate Diana to show herself. And I don't think Superman's death is the only way to rally the Justice League together. The way to bring Wonder Woman in is to break up the fight and be the yeah. one voice of reason. Exactly. That's where she comes in. She's like... Who are you both? Like, yeah. you were both fools. Like, yeah. especially bringing some of that Amazonian arrogance to that moment. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have been as badass, but, like, there's going to be plenty of time for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and, too, like, she could have foiled some of Batman's traps. Because if he was right. using his intelligence to overcome Superman, and she's, like, trying to stop them from fighting, so she keeps foiling either one of them. Superman with strength. Yeah. And then Batman with, like, overcoming even his yeah. intelligence. Yeah. It's like, who is this person? That would have been amazing. It's weird that we had a year of, like, heroes fighting heroes, and then villains trying out, trying out being good guys for a while. It was very... <laughs> that, was, that was, like, the theme of 2016. <laughs> uh... Just wrapping up one final note because we talked about the one, the Wonder Woman scene introduction, which is fantastic. This movie does contain my favorite Batman scene of all time, which is when the two cops come yes. down and find the guy tied to the radiator. That is the uh, be when he's in the background of that yes. shot, like hanging out in the ceiling so in the good. corner. Uh, th I thought that was a brilliant moment, yeah, and so I was like, good. okay, promise, yeah, promise, <laughs> exactly. That is really good. Yeah, but for me, still nothing tops the interrogation scene from The Dark Knight. Yes, that's, that's a, a very good scene. Good scene as well. I just don't feel like that's a shining moment for Batman though, because it's it's all Heath. That's true. Like yeah. and he's like, what what do I know? And he like waves his handcuffed hands. Yeah. I was like, this man. Though actually, I would say even more than that was when he did his magic trick. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. but now <laughs> Batman's gone from that yeah. altogether. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today's podcast. Special thanks to Daryl and Tim for joining me today. What do you think? We'd like to hear your thoughts. Write us an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes below if you want to just cut and paste. Or check out our community on mz.com, a new friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. You can either post directly into that group or share your thoughts on another conversation that's already been started. The link to the MZ group is in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, and when you do, write us a review. Make sure you're eligible to win comics from the Reclamation Society by submitting that iTunes review and liking our Facebook page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so make sure you follow us and give us feedback on what sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book story we should review next. All the links to those things are in the show notes. That is it. For today's show, as always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.